Welcome to the Colts Cover 2 Podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. We call ourselves the Cover 2 because I'm always in umbrella coverage, taking away all of your fun, explosive ideas and making you check down to the flat. I just came up with that on Twitter yesterday. I'm going to make it part of the podcast now. Uh, Nate Nate is not in the Cover 2. Nate, Nate's not playing the umbrella coverage most, of, but for the most part. No, I like the blitz. Yeah, Nate's Nate's trying to Nate's trying to get up there and 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 make some big plays. I'm I'm generally sitting back. I press man and I blitz. I'm slot blitz. It was. I'm funny trying to make you drive 15 plays down the field. <laughs> Remember, we were we were considering changing the name because it was originally built around Matt Eberflus's defense, and then all we did was keep it the same. And now we're finding creative ways to deploy what the cover two means. I I. Uh, I stumbled onto that. Um, I stumbled onto that yesterday, just making a joke on Twitter, and now I think I'm just going to make it the tagline. I think I'm just going to make it the tagline for the cover too. Because uh, right. well, I'll bring the hot Jim, takes. Jim, Jim, uh, our f- former host, uh, former host Jim Aiello, used to make it a badge of honor to get me to say things that were actual like podcasty takes. So uh, I think he, he, as as one of the the original members who who named it the cover too, I think Jim would would appreciate. Uh, the uh the reasoning behind that so just just remember this is this is the way i'm probably going to do it for a while now uh so, so we call Jim, ourselves the cover two because i'm always in umbrella coverage taking away all of your fun explosive ideas and making you check down to the flat so jim was trying to bait you get you peeking in the backfield he was pretty good at it actually so he, he was yeah yeah, the yeah, top. yeah yeah he was pretty good at it actually he would he would uh what he would do is he would check down and check down and check down for about three quarters and then he would slip something in or he would wait till he saw his opportunity, and he'd catch me. He'd catch me uh, trying to sit on a route or something and throw it over the top. But, um, but yeah, he's, so he's like the the Cam Newton Panthers who would just run, 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 play action bomb. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like it's like Peyton Manning always says on the Manning cast when someone's playing a shell coverage. Like you just keep running into it uh, as long as they're giving it to you, and then whenever they they adjust to it, then you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to hit you with what I wanted to hit you with in the first place. Uh, I think we're taping this on Wednesday morning, afternoon. I think, based on what's been reported, that Brian Callahan is either in Indianapolis or the Colts are in Cincinnati right now uh, talking to Brian Callahan. I don't think we ever got a day on Shane Steichen. I don't think we yeah. ever got an, a specific day on Shane Steichen and when he's going to talk. Obviously, there's some complication there. Uh, they're doing it in the Philadelphia. Eagles. Yeah, they're doing it in Philadelphia. The Eagles obviously are, are headed towards the Super Bowl. Um, but that we're, th- we're almost through the second round of interviews now. After that, I, I don't know if there's going to be a third round of interviews. That'd be a little bit different for the NFL, but it's possible. Um, it's possible if they go back to talk to one or two and make an actual round of finalists. It's hard to call it seven, a round of seven finalists. <laughs> second wave. Um, it's hard to call a round of seven finalists for one job. I- I've been calling it the second round. Yeah, something like that, because... Every time, every time I want to say finalists, I just keep thinking, well, what if they decide they want to bring somebody back and talk again? Like, well, what if they, like, what if they whittle it down to Raheem Morris and Shane Steichen, and they want to talk to both? Although with Steichen, you'd have to wait until after the Super Bowl. Um, and I know everybody out there likes loves Steichen, and I have no no football issues with him, but I I don't want it to take that long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's been it's been nice to have a little bit of calmness before it gets it, it ramps back up crazy, but it is getting calmness. A you don't feel the crushing anxiety that your phone's oh, going to blow up on the report every forty seconds. There's that. There's that. But but 
I've been able to stay home and be cozy and not have to go out to uh, places. And so, and also, every time I, I get a notification just, on my phone, I freak out a little bit. Yeah, let's just let me just say that it depends on who they hire as far as how normal and calm it will feel. That's fair. So, uh, yeah. I, I've been I've been happy for the calmness relative to what could happen if they uh, if they keep the interim coach. <laughs> <laughs> just saying it. He's just saying it right out right out the gate here. Although if you've been listening to the Colts Cover Two podcast, you you kind of know where we sit on the uh, possibility of Jeff Saturday. We're going to try to talk a little bit about some of these candidates uh, that, are, that are here for the second round that aren't Jeff Saturday. We've said plenty about him uh, over the last couple of. Uh, podcasts i don't know that there's anything much to add to it um so we'll, we'll just go we'll just go in, in order starting with denver defensive coordinator Ajero avero um clearly an impressive guy got second interviews in a couple of different places young guy um been in mcveigh's been on mcveigh's staff prior to this year so he's got coaching connections inside the offensive world that everyone has been using the last couple of years um feels like it's maybe two or maybe a year or two too early although i feel like with defensive coordinators though um that window is smaller than it is for offensive coordinator yeah he's he's certainly an interesting guy because he has been one year as a coordinator and i'm usually kind of afraid of that situation i've seen a lot of coaches just get rushed into it when they haven't spend enough time kind of leading something. He and must interview very well. I'm sure he does. And he's, you know, and he's, he's got an impressive track record as far as the people he's worked under, um, you know, whether it's, you know, he's worked for, with Raheem Morris, who's not obviously another interview candidate. He's worked with Gus Bradley, like you said, Sean McVay. Um, so there's been ways to learn kind of guys who've done it well, uh, Jim Harbaugh as well. And then guys who've not done it well, like Nathaniel Hackett. I think that can also help you a little bit. Um, as far as like schematically, it is an interesting mix for a defensive coordinator who came up through kind of some more of the Tampa two uh, style defense, and then you know recently has got like he says gotten he's got some exposure to the Fangio elements uh, with the Rams, and then when Raheem Morris came back there to replace uh, Brandon Staley, they you know they they've adjusted a little bit uh, to be sort of a mix of those two, and then obviously worked really well in Denver this year, so. I think you can see where he's clearly a charis- he clearly interviews well. He's a charismatic guy, which taps into some of that leadership. And I'm guessing the fact that he's at this point, uh, and he's probably connected pretty well with Chris Ballard, who of course is very in tune with defense. So I see some of those elements of it. He is the candidate, though I probably know the least about beyond that because it's just such a well. New he name. hasn't been yeah. He hasn't like he, like as you're mentioning, he hasn't really been in the public eye very much. He was. Uh, you know, he wasn't the defensive coordinator with Los Angeles. And this this Broncos season, he probably should have gotten talked about more. It was a very good Broncos defensive season, given what they were saddled with on the offensive side of the ball. But because of everything that was going on the offensive side of the ball, like, think about everything you've heard out of Denver over the last six months or so. Like, it's either Russell Wilson or Nathaniel Hackett. They're, you're almost ta- – like, outside of the trade of Bradley Chubb, you've almost heard nothing else out of Denver – which kind of does make him a little bit more of an unknown. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's what was so strange about that Broncos season. There was so much disappointment and chaos, but it was all pinned on the offense, deservedly so. The defense was just carrying them. And the game we were there for it was a 9-6 game in overtime. The fact that they, they somehow lost a home game where they gave up nine points 
Uh, it's pretty unbelievable. So it's just always kind of hard to read these, you know, how a defensive coordinator without a track record would translate. But I do think it really helps when you've learned from someone like Sean McVay on that that end of it. And what I'll also point out is that he's he's got more of a, uh, you know, he, he comes from more of the secondary end of it. Like he was a safeties coach for the Rams for four years in there, pass game coordinator. And why that matters there is under that defense with Brandon that, that Brandon Staley installed, uh, he that was a back-to-front type of defense schematically. Obviously Aaron Donald is wrecking stuff in the middle, and that, that helps a lot. But like when John Johnson was the free safety there and the, the Rams had the number one defense in the 2020 season, he wore the green dot, was the captain and, and the guy calling it out. So that, that shows you a little bit of how – much they put on a safeties coach at the time in, in Evero and how effective it was to help build the number one defense that way. And then when he got to run his own defense, uh, you know, in Denver, and they've got, you know, some – their best talent was at the back end too with with uh, Justin Simmons and Patrick Sertan. They built that sort of back to front, and it and it worked really well just in one year doing it. Although the the one caveat to this that that also makes it hard for me is he took over a very talented Denver defense that was also playing incredibly well in a similar scheme to what he was running the Vic Fangio style defense so I do think I don't want to take anything away from him it just it it's a short track record to judge really what this guy would do on his own but I do think when you add in how he helped build LA the specific positions he did it at and won a Super Bowl you can see why he's at least intriguing let's uh let's do something real quick a little quick departure I just thought of I've got the list up of of current NFL head coaches there are two spots open um the Broncos and Texans filled theirs uh because obviously obviously we talk a lot about the the defensive background not being as desired as the offensive background I just kind of want to go through and mention all of the defensive uh, background coaches that are head coaches right now. Sean McDermott with Buffalo. Um, Matt Eberflus in Chicago. D'Amico Ryans was just hired in Houston. Uh, Brandon Staley in Los Angeles. Bill Belichick in New England. Dennis Allen in New Orleans. Robert Sala in New York. Mike Tomlin, correct? Yep. Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. Pete Carroll in Seattle. Todd Bowles in Tampa Bay. Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. And Ron Rivera in Washington. So it's more than I would have thought, first of all. What else jumps out to you about that list? Uh, I'd have to look at it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read it backwards. I'm going to read it backwards just, just to help the listener, too. So Ron Rivera... Mike Vrabel, Todd Bowles, Pete Carroll, Mike Tomlin, Robert Sala, Dennis Allen, Bill Belichick, Brandon Staley, D'Amico Ryans, Matt Eberflus, and Sean McDermott. I I will say this. That is a more successful list than I would have guessed. Okay, yeah. It's it's a lot of pretty good coaches on there. Um, I'm doing this in real time. That's I didn't come into this podcast with this. Nate Nate can vouch for that. I didn't bring it up before. I just he was talking about Avero and it popped into my head. Yeah, there's some some guys out there who don't have the tracker to totally judge it. Obviously D'Amico just showed up and then and then Matt Eberflus. Um, there's some like Todd Bowles. Like the the main thing DA Todd Bowles probably not not the best. Not the most exciting. The interesting thing with defensive coaches, like this is why it's very hard for me to judge anyone who's just, you know, just 
a defense coach who's interviewing that we're not in on the interviews is what really matters to me is what do you think about offense? What do you think about the quarterback position? Because a guy like Todd Bowles is incredibly old school. And why that did not work very well this year in Tampa is they, they just did not have much – they weren't able to keep much of the Bruce Arians offense – uh, he just kind of passed it over to his staff, didn't get along with them, didn't trust them. And they would all of a sudden, uh, you know, the number of times they punted from like the opponent's territory, it just was a very old school to go, way to go about it. And that is very different than, um, you know, than some other people who more, more build it around like what stresses them out as defensive coaches. I think like Robert Sala and, uh, and Brandon Staley have taken more of that approach, uh, which which is helpful. Um, I think like some of those, yeah, it's, it's very, it's an interesting list because I, I, they're more successful than I would have thought. I'd say for most of those coaches with a huge exception, obviously being Bill Belichick is that, yeah, you almost like Bill Belichick is a defensive mind, but including him in any list is almost skews it a lot. A lot um, of long-tenured guys, although that's true on the offensive side, too. Yeah. You've got Andy, guys like Andy Reid. I guess in general what I'd say is obviously excluding Bill Belichick from this comment because it goes against it is that the rest of those guys seem like they're, they're good, successful coaches who raise the floor a lot. They often haven't gotten to a high ceiling because I think the one thing that they've kind of lacked is nailing the quarterback position, finding one, developing one, all of that. We've seen Mike Vrabel teams have been obviously very, very good they've kind of gotten the most they could out of a limited player at quarterback and have not found and created a new wave guys like Robert Sala everything was looking really good in New York what sunk them the quarterback position so it's like to ask that guy to lead about, you forward can make the case about Tomlin in Pittsburgh yep. since Roethlisberger began to decline yeah and like that's a great example I like I think the world of Mike Tomlin as a coach on a lot of levels obviously his culture that he runs the motivation the defense but finding a new path forward for an offense has been a big issue for him because not only, you know, they drafted Kenny Pickett and he, on draft night, he said, we like him because he has a nice floor, which is kind of a weird comment. And he played decently well, but then everyone was shocked this year when he brought back Matt Canada to be the offensive coordinator. And it felt like, where's this really going? You need a defensive guy who, you know, he, he comes from that defensive background and, and obviously hope that that side of the ball is good, but he's still got to have a way to, uh, to have a plan for the offense, unless he's inheriting that already, or is kind of gifted with, occasionally it can work when you just get a truly unique quarterback who becomes the whole system, like That's a Cam Newton. McDermott. That's the Sean McDermott. Yep. Yep. I was going to say Ron Rivera. Russell Wilson. I was going to say Ron Rivera actually played pretty well into your your um, hypothesis there. As somebody who raises the floor, very good coach, gets more out of his teams than I think most people expect. Mm-hmm has had trouble getting them getting teams that are over the top and some of that were i think cam's limitations as a passer and i I, please do not uh please listeners do not take this as me trying to like pour molten lava on cam newton i like i loved watching cam newton play but he he was very clearly wasn't a, a top tier passer um and and so I think that that I think Rivera kind of goes in there too, but Sean McDermott definitely is what you're talking about. He he, good coach probably raises the floor if you're thinking about like the early Bills playoff teams. Like mm-hmm. I keep thinking about, it's hard to remember now because he's been like Josh Allen, super Josh Allen for a couple of years now. But if you think about the first year that they went to the playoffs with him, 
when it was like it was literally you had no oh, idea yeah. what was going to happen with the quarterback on any given play with Buffalo. That was kind of a raise the floor type team. Um, but obviously he's and, got Josh Allen. And that same team, that Buffalo team also made the playoffs, you know, in a year where they were starting Tyrod Taylor and benched him for a game for Nathan Peterman and still made it. So McDermott has certainly done things to help kind of create what the Bills are. This year that was a good example of you lose Brian Dable, you've got to replace a coordinator, find a kind of new path on offense, and it it really took a huge step back. And now there's questions about, like, can Sean McDermott move this forward? Can he – can he do what kind of Andy Reid has done? Uh, Andy Reid's a high bar, but for example, like they lose Tyree Kill and they're back in the Super Bowl because of the million different ways they changed and molded an offense to play a different style and be just as good this year. It's just a challenge. And look, if we're with the Colts, if we're getting to the point where we're talking about that ceiling, can they make the next step into the Super Bowl? Obviously, they've gotten to a very good place, but I do think well, it's something there, worth considering. There's a good there's a good point to be made here, though, that like. The previous coach, Frank Reich, was fired for essentially for not getting to that ceiling. Yeah, you know, uh, as miserable as everybody remembers this season, they were three, three, and one when everything started to panic. Like they, they could have pulled. They very well could have pulled off. I think that I'll just say it. I think that they had a chance to pull off being in the mix for the division if they kept Reich, based on what we've seen out of Reich's teams in the past. But I think the thing that made most everybody upset was that they didn't that that level of eleven and five, ten and six, uh, stupid seventeen game schedule, nine and eight, um, that kind of thing. Like that was what everyone got frustrated with. And to some degree, what's what you're saying about the defensive guys is also true about the offensive guys. Even the guys with high floors as offensive guys, uh, they have to have the quarterback, which we all know. Um, but but. If you're getting a guy like that, I think in the initial part, people would be happy because the team wasn't an embarrassment the way it was in the final eight games of this season. Nine games, final eight, nine games. Because um, really, the embarrassment really started with New England. Yeah. Uh, but but in terms of getting them over the hump, like that's a the quarterback's got to do that. And that's not just on the defensive coach. That's on the franchise to get him the quarterback. And so, right. you know, I think – what there's also a ceiling argument for some of these guys where if you can be in position to take a truly different quarterback and have the aggressiveness of, of a front office to go and get him, maybe the foresight to find him when others don't, it's very hard to do, but that's, that's how the Seahawks became a machine that should have won back-to-back Super Bowls. You mix the Legion of Boom defense with Russell Wilson doing some pretty fen- phenomenal stuff. First they won because they had loaded teams when he was on a rookie deal, but then they we're still pretty good for a while where he was the whole offense and not a whole lot of schematic advantage there, but you didn't really need it because you had Russell Wilson. That's kind of, in some levels, what, you know, Ron Rivera got a team to 15-1 and in the Super Bowl because, you know, Cam Newton was able to kind of have an MVP season if they as had, he took if over. If they had invested literally anything in tackles, he might have a super, in offensive tackles, he might have a Super Bowl. Right? Yeah, and so this is, this literally has to be. Literally anything. This is where, like, you would find hope for the Texans is that if D'Amico at Ryan's ends up being a special coach, if you can get him a quarterback like Bryce Young, and if Bryce Young is a difference maker, again, a lot of ifs, but there is a high ceiling to be to chase there because then you have a complete team. You have a quarterback who has defined the offense, and you have a very good defense. It's what the Bills have come close to, 
they just fell off a little bit because they, you know, because they lost Brian Dable and they're in the AFC against Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and it gets tough that way. But uh, there, there is a ceiling to chase. It's just like, it's really got to come together. And if they hire a defensive coach, I, I, this is where they would have to, the Colts would have to get, they should get more aggressive anyway, finding the quarterback, finding the answer. But you really can't expect to just pick whatever guy um, and just kind of hope that it works the best and not spend your resources there. I think you have to really support him and then hope he's special on his side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you lose with Reich is kind of that ability to get, with without having somebody like Reich or an offensive mind, is having the ability to get more out of a quarterback than than's expected and throw this season out of the, like, throw that one out. But, like, some of these other guys, uh, you know, Wentz, Rivers, like, they played better here than they did in their previous stops before they got here. You kind of lose a little bit of that ability unless you've got a really, really, really spectacular coordinator, which it feels like, doesn't it feel a little bit like there's almost a, a bad timing thing at offensive coordinator where a lot of the, the, the up-and-comers have gotten hired over the last couple of years as head coaches or they've got – or a lot of the up-and-comers are on staffs with some of the previous offensive-minded head coaches and it doesn't feel like there's as many – I'm sure there's guys in the pipeline. I'm sure there's plenty of good guys to hire. But it does feel like there's been so much emphasis on that side of the ball – that it's not as obvious like it's not as easy to build a list of like 15 offensive coordinators as it would have been like three years ago I think the hard thing right now is finding an offense coordinator who has a track record that you want to hire because just in the past few years there were those guys that that sometimes you wonder like who's going to hire this guy and that was Brian Dable and then finally the Giants stepped up and took him out and then it, it looks like a great hire you know, the, the McVay tree has been picked apart so much. The Shanahan tree has been picked apart so much. But that started where, like, Kyle Shanahan was kind of close to that spot. I mean, he had the big year in Atlanta to to get on that radar, but he was pretty good before that, building build a nice offense for RG3. But he was kind of waiting out there. Once, But once that train started and they just, like, everyone raced to, to hire those guys away, it's gotten this way. Now, the one, I guess, exception to this that's that's always an interesting – topic it's hard to dive into is Eric Bieniemy would be that guy who has that long track record lots of success for some reason he interviews you know at half the league and he and he doesn't get the jobs so that one's a little different but it's hard to find many like that that have like this is an established track record this is the guy who's ready for that jump because some of these guys like you could be very intrigued by like a Mike Kafka but that's a lot to put a guy after one year as an offensive coordinator under such a bright offensive mind like Brian Dable and expect him to run his own offense and build it for a rookie quarterback this early. That's kind of the risk. Steichen is kind of the, that guy, I think, in this – and not with a ton of a – not with a huge track record, but Steichen is sort of the hot, young offensive name that remains out there. Ben Johnson would have been in there, but he, he took himself out of the running. Um, before we get to those guys, though, before we get to the offensive guys, and, and I trust me, I'll get to Brian Callahan um, – just kind of sticking back on the defensive point. One of the other things that I thought while going through that list is a lot of those guys had to wait some time to get their shot. Um, Rivera, Eberflus, uh, a, a lot of those defensive guys. McDermott. McDermott was there. Was it was the coordinator in Carolina for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those guys kind of had to wait to get their shot. I mean, you got D'Amico. D'Amico but, is well, an example. Tomlin's an example of somebody who got hired very young. Tomlin's very a little different, but D'Amico and Vrabel, what's different there is they had long playing careers. Playing careers, right. And someone recently made this argument to me of like, we, 
there's been more of a wave of teams being open-minded that your playing years count as some version of experience toward the job. Obviously, we've had the conversation with Jeff that, that that's the whole argument with him was that, that his playing experience. But I do think when – like you look at D'Amico, he rose in five years, which is remarkable as a coach. Well, there's, there's but he a, had the playing career, which builds this longer trajectory. There's a case to be made that if Jeff Saturday had just accepted the offensive line job he was offered with Indianapolis – that his candidacy wouldn't seem so crazy. Absolutely, because that was he, he 2019. Could be, he could be in the D'Amico Ryan's track. You know what I mean? Like he could he could have been in it if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. He elected not to. He elected to say, "I'm I'm only available for the head job." And where that matters, uh, not to splinter way off in a Jeff conversation, but yeah, we're like, not going to we're not going to stay. But here. like with D'Amico, where that where that matters to me though is like. His playing experience, he draws on that all the time. It makes him connect with players. It's that's where he built a lot of his knowledge of the game. So, like those are a lot of the traits they're hiring now. But his five years, he went from sort of low-level assistant to position coach to coordinator. You got to learn what all the jobs on a staff are about. There's no way to know if you're a linebacker. There's no way to really know what the life of a running backs coach is like day to day until you're a coach and you're working with that person on day to day basis. And then you start to learn. You start to learn what makes an offensive coordinator good at being a coordinator with the coaches in their coaches meetings once you're in that seat so that's where i think that matters. well and ryan so ryan's pulled out of a second interview in minnesota last year and uh earlier this year he was talking to reporters in san francisco about like what that gave him a chance to do and he said that he actually uh said that what he did was he went back to san francisco and and talked to shanahan and said i want to be involved in more of the offensive stuff more of the like roster decision type stuff not not from a he was going to make the decisions. He wanted to be there for them and get some of the stuff that he hadn't gotten as a coordinator perspective. So that speaks to what you're saying is, is you get that by, by being in those positions, you get a chance to actually see what it's like to handle the whole roster as opposed to just being thrown into it. Um, Raheem Morris. That's a good segue for him. Raheem Morris is a guy that he's been like, he, he would fall into, and Wink Martindale falls into this category too, although he's a little bit different. Raheem Morris falls into the category of he's got a long resume now. He's, oh, yeah. he's been doing this in the NFL for a very, very long time. Uh, yet he's, he's only 46. Right. He's got the head coaching experience from, from way back when, but he's got a whole second coaching career after this where he's been a head coaching candidate, been somebody that people talked about. He kind of fits into that mold of some of these other defensive like some of the other guys on that list where you're like they had to they had to be in the league a long time before they got their shot. Yeah, and I know people will bring up his early stints, you know, and they the record wasn't great. He was seventeen and thirty one in Tampa Bay. And then he had an interim stint with the with the Falcons. But you know, it's one of those things where you read that list off like Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll were both not very good in their first stint. Like some guys get it too early, and then they realize how hard this is, and it, and, it, and they weren't ready for it. And that was Raheem Morris. By the time he was 32 years old when he got that job, trying to take over for John Gruden on a team that's rebuilding that has Josh Freeman. Again, we talk about quarterbacks. They give him Josh Freeman as his quarterback. I mean, that's not setting your young defensive coach up for much success. So, oh man, Josh Freeman took a stray. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. I don't know if. I don't know. If he's, he's just not quite giving Coach uh, Cam Newton. I I don't know. Uh, I don't know if uh, that's a stray or if that's just a uh, just a, a defensible opinion. <laughs> but uh, Raheem Morris, though, what I was talking about with defensive coaches were like a lot of them will raise the floor, but they have a hard time sort of sustaining coordinator changes or finding a path forward for the offense. 
What I like about Raheem Morris is that he has some offensive background. You know, he was the uh, pass game coordinator for the Falcons for uh, five years in there, which is a long stretch wide receivers coach too. Uh, long stretch working, that was Matt Ryan's offense, got to learn under Kyle Shanahan that way. So he spoke the same language as Sean McVay when he came over and was his defense coordinator. And then he also has served as like the as sort of the you know as the associate head coach uh, in with the Rams. So you got to think as he's been preparing for this uh, this another shot at being a head coach that I and this is where we were not in the interviews to know this, but like you mentioned with D'Amico, how he learned a lot from Kyle Shanahan and wanted to see that. I have to imagine that Raheem Morris is a guy who's worked as a pass game coordinator, was soaking up a lot from Sean McVay, the way he soaked it up from Kyle Shanahan. Those are two great minds to learn from when you also are someone who's as established as he is on the defensive side as a you know, two-time Super Bowl champ. So there's a lot with Raheem Morris to like as far as, you know, if you're looking for a motivator and a leader, uh, just pull up some clips. You could pull up – he did the Pivot podcast where he you know, really you could see some of that energy and that um, relatability, but then – if you want to look up, like Jalen Ramsey kind of went on a big rant defending him last year where he said, like, you can blame me for every play, but do not blame Raheem. And you just don't often see the star player of a team coming out and saying that. When well, Jalen Ramsey would throw him under the bus if if he, if he it was warranted. Yeah, like, Jalen Ramsey's that. not afraid to say anything. Yeah. So I, I think the other thing with Morris, if you listen to McVay, McVay has been very, very out there about Raheem Morris's candidacy over the last couple of years. He's been very, very – uh, integral in that I, I wonder with he's kind of like um, so there's there's this thought that and I have no idea if this is actually a thing man having Josh Freeman as your quarterback for three years I was gonna say was it a stray um, yeah I don't know if it's a stray I think that's probably a pretty good that's probably a pinpoint shot um, but uh, I went I actually I, the reason I said that I was while you were talking I was going back and looking through just to see like did he really have Josh Freeman for three years because I'd forgotten that part of the NFL <laughs> Um, what's interesting about that he may have that may have been his recommendation because he coached at Kansas State with Josh Freeman for one year but again that's why you don't allow a 32 year old first time head coach defensive guy to pick the quarterback um, you gotta do well, better he, than that he got 10 wins with him one year which yeah. is something that is a thing that I did not remember in, the, in my NFL HUD um, <laughs> but anyway with, with Raheem Morris uh, you know some of the stuff that McVay has said about him like I think coaching in the McVay system has been like that's outside of being an offensive mind. That's like the next subcategory. Like, did you coach with Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan has been like the next big thing that people have been looking for. And obviously Morris has done a lot of that, but he's also coached with, with in Atlanta with Dan Quinn and with some other, some of these other guys. What I was, where I was going was earlier was, I don't know. And I don't have any answers on this. Like does, does Raheem Morris know that if Sean McVay Lee decides to retire with his annual flirtation that he would be the Rams guy? I don't know. Fair question. There was some speculation that Sean Payton would be involved there, but like, and, and that does could have been he, driven by Sean Payton. And does he want to take over for that? I, I assume the relationships are a huge part. Jalen Ramsey's there, obviously. Aaron Donald for as long as, as he wants to do it, but – Rams He's got clearly, some other. Raheem is clearly in this cult search. So yeah. Rams have some other problems, though. So so to wait out that a, job, to wait out a job for a team that has an old quarterback and no picks, and will lose their entire and offense he probably, game plan. He probably would have pulled himself out by now. Yeah. He's clearly in on this Colts job. Anyway, just amusing. 
let's move on to the uh, the other. This is a different kind of uh, veteran coach, Wink Martindale. Um, kind of a gruff, like sort of old schooly coach personality. Um, character for sure. Yeah, kind of a character. I was surprised when I, when I was writing the the initial story on him. I was surprised at the fact that he's only really been a coordinator for about a half a decade. Yeah. I I had thought of him as like one of those guys who like a you know remember how like Fangio was everyone knew was one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL for like a decade before he got a job. Like I was kind of thinking about Martindale in, in that like he'd been a defensive coordinator that long. He really hasn't. He 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 was a coordinator for one year in the ill-fated Josh McDaniel season, I believe, in Denver. And then was mostly a linebackers coach for about 15 years. He's and really had a the Matt Eberflus kind of career. Yeah, there you go. That's a good that's a really good comp. Matt very different personalities, but that's a good yeah. comp in terms of career. Like he's working as a linebackers coach and then really just in the last half a decade kind of built his reputation as defensive coordinator. Yeah, coached for a long time and uh, you know, in college, you know, first half of his career was in college and he goes over the NFL. Uh Wink Martindale <laughs> he's interesting that he's in this mix here. I have some questions about his offensive coordinator. Like I have, I go. definitely have some football questions for him. I do think why he's appealing. Why I think why he got the second interview. I guess he, I think he interviewed and probably connected really well with Chris Ballard, not only on the defensive end, but personality is that he is as close as I can think of as a, just off the top of my head, that this, the personality in this league to what Bruce Arians is. I'm very oh, similar. that's a good that's a good comp because Ballard loved Bruce Arians. Ballard wanted to hire Bruce Arians in Chicago. Yeah, that sort of like famously wanted to hire Bruce that that sort of gruffness, bluntness, no nonsense kind of guy who's also humorous, who's just very verbose. I mean, Wink Martindale, he's just a different guy. He's, I mean, the, the quotes will say like he just will kind of openly trash talk other players he faces but then himself when it doesn't work it's sort of a fun experience for um just it's not a lot of coaches are like that and then and then um you know he just a small side like he's he's just he's he's just a very every kind of down-to-earth funny person like I, I ran into him at the combine when I was just in there watching some of the drills he's just sitting there you could just go sit by him and and chat football if you wanted like he's he is that everyday kind of guy which is kind of what Arians was. And for a long time, Bruce Arians had a hard time breaking through at the owner level because he didn't come off as sort of buttoned up enough. He couldn't keep the curse words down. It didn't seem like this is the CEO we want to roll out for our franchise. And then everyone learned that that was a stupid way of thinking about it because he was fantastic in the three opportunities he's gotten to be a head coach, including interim in Indianapolis. So it could be one of those like more personality-driven hires, uh, you know, a guy that was just – kind of move this in a different direction. He's got some of that fire and that motivator level, but also in a very relatable, not condescending type of way. But I agree with you. I have questions about what does he think about offense? Like just any of these sort of older school defensive coaches, he's 59 years old, uh, you know, and came up as a linebackers coach into a league that has obviously changed so much at that level. But I will say the one thing that he will, I think his aggressiveness on defense that will appeal to Jim Mersey, who I remember talking in a pre he was talking in a preseason game last year where he said he wanted to see the defense play more press man coverage, really get in the face of guys and uh and blitz more. And that is Wink Martindale to a T. I mean, sometimes 
too much. Like he he'll run cover zero and occasionally get burned, and people get upset about it. But he is he's pretty much aggressively the the uh, no risk it no biscuit approach on defense that I think Arians was on offense. That's a pretty good breakdown. Rich Pisaccia is a guy. Um, I don't know if anybody saw him ending up in this this search. I think he probably does a little bit on the Gus Bradley recommendation. Um, obviously, Bradley been in the building. Um, really had a lot of respect. He publicly in one of the press conferences right after uh, Saturday was hired as interim. Bradley referenced the job that Basaccia did a couple times and why he did a good job. Two other assistants worked there too. Richard yeah, Smith, linebackers true. coach, right, Ron right, Miles. Right. So a lot of insight from them. Uh, we we all know that Ballard loves guys who respond well in adverse circumstances. Be hard to have a more adverse circumstance than you know what happened with the Raiders uh, in 2021. At the same time, with Basaccia, you're wondering, you know, like that's that's the more. I I don't know that I love the idea of the CEO only only head coach. I don't know that I really like it. I do you, you see Dave Tepper's comments yesterday, pretty much throwing Matt Rule under the bus, saying CEO coach. The Panthers just introduced Frank Reich, and their owner came out and said, "Yeah, we learned that the CEO coach doesn't work." Yeah, so that's that's. I feel like just probably going far, but I feel like most of the coaches of the NFL, I they don't have to be calling the plays. They don't have to be the offensive coordinator. I do think. And I think that what we learned this season, especially in the back half of the season with the Colts, is that having somebody who can inform the X's and O's on one or the other side of the ball uh, is is a big boost and helpful. Um, and, and I think that that's an important thing to know um, because – so, like, Gus Bradley – Gus Bradley was hired by Frank Reich. I think most people agree Gus Bradley did a pretty good job this year. And – I know that that some of sometimes when the Colts defense made adjustments to what they were doing and it got better, it was because Reich, as an offensive head coach, said would go and say, "Hey, I just want to talk to you about the defense. This is how I would attack it. This is how I see other offenses attacking it." I, I think somebody who can do that to both sides of the ball because they have the X's and O's ability, I think that matters. I I, I could be wrong. Like you, you can't. You, maybe you can have somebody. Who's who's not really doing that? Not really informing stuff. I'm just saying that I would prefer someone who can add that schematic stuff because we kept hearing Jeff Saturday sort of blame everything that went wrong on not having enough offensive-minded coaches on that side of the ball. Like, if it's that big of a problem, don't you want somebody in the building who can stress you and push you? And like, like Nick Sirianni is not calling the plays in Philadelphia, but to 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 assume that he's not heavily involved in that offense would be insane, you know. And so I think that, I think that the more I think about it, I think there's a reason that that the trend for a while now has been somebody who can who can inform the schematic stuff on either side of the ball. Yeah, with Basachi it's interesting because I think there is, uh, I think there are different kind of CEO coaches too, and the reason why, like I have said before, that I think special teams coaches should get more of these opportunities is that I think that they come from a background that extends well to being the leader of a team in some of that CEO role, which is, you know, you talk to offensive and defensive players all the time is, is it, you know, especially when he took over as the interim in, in for the Raiders, like he had developed some of those players as special teamers. So he knew them. And his big thing was he was an emotional 
Um, his emotional intelligence is super high in relating to players within a game. Uh, but what's different with a special teams guy in that role, though, I think I don't think it's as simple in that role if they're good at it. Uh, I don't think it's as simple as they're just deciding, you know, when to go for it on fourth down. Like they, it's a game management role as a special teams coach. That's why Jeff Saturday stood next to Bubba Ventrone, and they talk through game situations all the time. They're thinking every element of this game, whether it's it's the wind, whether it's it's the um, the direction that they're trying to kick punt to, the what hash marks they're on. It's crazy the way that a guy like Bubba Ventrone will break this down. And there's a quote that I saw from Rich where he talked about how he he grew in that way he said uh after he went seven and five at the Raiders he said I learned that I could have conversations with other coaches to figure out how to possibly win a game and still keep the same role that I had where you can build relationships with the players and still do the job that I started off with so I can see how offensive coordinators can get a head coaching job and still call plays and I learned that about myself as well so it's just it opens up a little bit to where you know the guys who've come from that background have been very successful Bill Belichick and John Harbaugh are amazing within a game. Well, and Bill Belichick, I mean, that's the guy who coordinated the Giants defense when they beat the Bills. Like, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I'm not saying Rich Passaccia is going to be Bill Belichick, (laughs) but he's more than a specialty. But his edge with there's a clear edge in game management with him in that role. And I think that could be true about a guy like Rich Passaccia and I, at the same time, what I have major questions about is how he goes and builds out the offense by not having that background. Um, that's and, and the experience is nice, but is also an older school guy. When he took over with the Raiders, you know they had Derek Carr, they had talent on the offense. They lost the guy running it and John Gruden, but they had the talent. Again, you match the guy, CO type, non-offensive guy with a pretty good quarterback that worked pretty well. Doing that with a rookie quarterback that you're going to draft and build a system around, I have a lot more questions with that. That brings us to the offensive guy. Shane Steichen is first up. I, the, the most interesting thing to me with Shane Steichen, and I, I have a lot I, – I, like I understand the candidacy and why people are excited about it. Like That Eagles offense, what they've done with Jalen Hurts, love it. Impossible not to love it. They're in the Super Bowl. Um, the interesting thing to me – is that Shane Steichen comes from Frank Reich's coaching tree. <laughs> like un, unequivocally comes from Frank Reich's coaching tree. His his formative years in the NFL, his first couple, like he, there was one year I think before, but he spent three years with Reich in San Diego with, when Reich was the offensive coordinator in San Diego. That's where he met Nick Sirianni, who hired him in Philadelphia. And Nick Sirianni is maybe the most uh, – unabashed Frank Reich disciple there is <laughs> you, I don't think you can be no anymore question. uh so so it's that's the interesting thing to me is that it, normally teams try to go opposite of the of the most recent hire but it, and and I'm not saying that like Nick Nick Sirianni and Frank Reich are very different personalities like but a lot of the stuff that I, the Eagles do I'm sure like for, I, I don't know, I don't even have to like guess at it. Nick Sirianni has said over and over again his biggest head coaching influence is Frank Reich. Shouldn't like wouldn't Shane Steichen be sort of in the same vein? That'd be very different than the, what normally happens when you fire your head coach and you normally go in the opposite direction. That wouldn't this would not be the opposite direction. This would be very similar direction. No, it would almost feel like if they actually made this hire, it would come off to me as they thought like 
the problem wasn't the Frank Reich hire, it's just time ran out on him. Like eventually, like you only get so many years to figure out the quarterback carousel. Um, it, the message gets a little bit stale, but the the idea was always sound. It just they got it got interrupted by this, you know, unprecedented retirement by Andrew Luck, and that's and I could see Chris Ballard thinking that way. If you look at the hires he's either made or tried tried to make at this position, they've all been offensive guys and very kind of strong willed or strong or very established uh, offensive guys. Like try to hire Bruce Arians in Chicago or, or push for it, and uh, you know the try to hire Josh McDaniels before he backed out and then hired Frank Reich. And I think that's because Ballard sees this marriage between he's he's more comfortable, more confident on the defensive side of the ball as far as going out and aggressively finding players. You know, we talk about the, the times that he's gone in free agency and spent up like Stephon Gilmore, um, Justin Houston, guys like that have been defense. And then he, he really wants to trust someone to fill in the gaps where he's maybe not quite uh, as aggressive or, or as – you know, his experience, which is the passing game. It made a nice marriage with Reich at the start. It just time ran out on them. That's, this would be, to me, him trying to chase that again, while also going with someone who has specific experience building an offense around a mobile quarterback, which I think should be part of the conversation of, you know, that that's become much bigger emphasis now and, and should be as far as how to yeah, – everything about the Eagles, the reason they are so high, high ceiling with Jalen Hurts is not that Jalen Hurts is – He's a better passer than he was, but it's because of all the elements that they can bring. With when they run RPO, it's our RPO because he can also tuck the ball and run. You're all of a sudden there playing a, like eleven on eleven. There was a really good, um, and I, I didn't hear any of it, so I can't give credit to who was talking. I was at the gym, so it was on. It was on the the TVs in front of me. Um, there was a good film breakdown of just how much it freezes the linebacker, mm-hmm. uh, and and the Niners have one of the best in the NFL. They have Fred Warner. And and it was it was just really interesting to watch how much Hertz's mobility freezes the linebacker. Like I we all know that. You all know like we all know that like obviously we've all watched enough football, especially college football, to to know like the element that the the quarterback running brings. But it was just that defense, the number one defense in the NFL with one of the best linebackers in the NFL watching it on like I think it was like five clips or six clips in a row watching Warner half like it almost yeah. looked to me like Warner knew where the ball was going but he had to slow himself down just in case Hertz kept it yeah that, that was makes sense I was I think you're I watched I think it's the same one it was Dan Orlovsky and, and Ryan Clark were kind of breaking it down together and that, it is fascinating to watch that and so Shane Steichen I think you'd have to be incredibly impressed by the resume of that specific trait I will say Personally, I would be shocked if Jim Mercer hires another Eagles offensive coordinator who's close to Frank Reich. I, so that hire would just shock me. But there's logic behind it. I I I understand why everybody's excited about Steichen. I get it. You know, I mean, that Jim Mercer even after he fired Frank Reich spent a significant portion of that press conference telling anyone who criticized him that they were idiots. And then obviously the Eagles are in the Super Bowl, so. You know, there's there is that part of it. I, I I get it from that side of it. Also, the one thing I'll add is that like the question I would have in a general way about Steichen is what again, what's his staff look like? Um, but if he comes in, if he connects with Ballard and Chris Ballard sells him on, if there's a way to keep this defensive staff, and I don't know if they'll be able to, but maybe they could if you know if uh, if he can promise Gus Bradley to own, to run it by himself. That's what Matt Nagy did with Vic Fangio in Chicago to keep him. Uh, 
then I think you get kind of excited because uh, especially if Shane Steichen can bring a guy named Roy Istvan, who's the assistant line coach, the Eagles, like watch that offensive line play football. You, <laughs> that is what it looks like when you invest resources in offensive line and then they hit that ceiling. It's unbelievable. And that's what this offensive line was supposed to be. Ne- clearly never got there. It's got to be rewired, refixed. If you can bring an offensive line coach like that, if that's part of the package, you know, that should that should increase his candidacy. Last one is the guy who we believe is interviewing as we speak, Brian Callahan. Um, I, Brian Callahan, I like. there's a part of me, and this is just me reading about him and, and reading his interviews and watching his interviews, that kind of thing. There's a part of me that's just really interested in him as a candidate. I'm really interested in the fact that he's never coached with his dad, despite his dad being a lifer, like mm-hmm. a, a very famous lifer. That's interesting to me. And, and he told the Cincinnati Inquirer that that's by design. He did it on purpose. Like he didn't want to be tied to his dad. He, he wouldn't mind coaching with him at some point, but he didn't want to look like a nepotism hire, which is, I just, that's just a very self-aware thing. I think it probably, I don't know. I just like it. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it, how it plays in the locker room, anything like that. I just like that. That's the, that was the approach he took. Well, I think it also, it just shows you, yeah, self-awareness, sort of a self-confidence too. I can make it on my own. I can I can win over the coaches I work for. And that's part of what being a head coach is for, is that you can't just you can't just forever go and, and follow one guy all the time. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a world where he could bring his dad here if he would want to. Bill Callahan just signed an extension in Cleveland, so I'm going to say that's not going to happen. So it's good that he's not built on that where it's like, Hey, I'm really good at being a quarterback's coach for the greatest offensive line coach ever, arguably, or one of them. Uh, so that's impressive. There's a lot of things with him that are interesting. He was the quarterback's coach in Detroit when I was there. And man, you talked to Dan Orlovsky and, and Matthew Stafford. They were big, big fans of him and the, the work he did within that room. The best years, the most efficient year Stafford ever had in Detroit were when he was the quarterback's coach. And then when Matt Patricia fired him, uh, Matt, Matthew Stafford had his worst year. And I think that kind of tracks a little bit. Um, he's just worked with different guys. You know, obviously Joe Burrow now, Derek Carr he worked with for a year, and then Peyton Manning. And I think what's interesting is when Peyton Manning has gone to bat for him, that's interesting to me because, you know, it, it takes something in a young kind of no-name coach at that point to impress Peyton Manning. I mean, how much do you have to offer a Peyton Manning when he was in Denver that he doesn't know about the passing yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fact that he was saying that told me there's there's a little bit something more there. I think what Chris Ballard would probably enjoy in, both, in Brian Callahan is also he has probably just a little bit more understanding or appreciation or value, whatever you want to say about the offensive line because of the way he grew up. And obviously anybody you hire should have good understanding of the offensive line, but there has been at times a disconnect between these guys who are incredible with the passing game and what it means to staff and develop uh, in the offensive line. I think Jim Caldwell and Frank Reich both could have done better jobs with that, looking back on it. And that's one area where maybe maybe Brian Callahan has a good plan for this is the guy I want to uh, be my offensive well, line I coach. I think with Reich it broke down. I think I don't, I don't – I, they were good. Like it wasn't like they sucked all five years. Yeah, I know. But I, it's, a, it's a place where I think looking back he, he could have been better at. Yeah, I know, yeah. but like in terms of like a in terms of like a I, like I think it was more of what happened towards the end of last year into this year than like they were awful because they were legitimately a good offensive line for a little while. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. I, I just Brian Callahan, I think, may come in with you know, I think I'd bring him out by Reich. He you know, he did he inherit Goog or does he did he hire him? Inherited get that. Inherited him and then fired him after a year. I, I that's I've obviously this, a weird setup. I've said this before. That guy's track record does tells me that that was more about personnel than it was about the coaching. Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is I, I think there's there's a good chance that Brian Callahan can come in with a better plan. Like I I know they did pretty well under Frank Reich. That was also incredibly talented offensive line when you had Anthony Costanzo playing next to Quentin Nelson and a young Ryan Kelly and it fell off, you know, when when that all the when two of those guys either retired or fell off. Um uh, in in I just think they could make a better hire there, and they have to. They they have to nail that offensive line. Oh, I think line I, I do think I do think you can have a better offensive line coach than Chris Strasser. Don't don't mistake yeah. that. Like I I I think that they I'm trying to figure out what I can say here. Uh, yeah, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. They they can do better. They they can do a better job than Chris Strasser. Well, and they and they have to because they if they don't fix that group the rookie quarterback's going to be in trouble because that's where you're spending your money. That's got to be, you know, quarterbacks as they're developing, the offensive line is usually very key, unless you're Joe Burrow who just has a, you know, he plays like a 15-year vet. But they the game's moving so fast. So to to be constantly worried and nervous about the protection, you don't want them dropping back and looking at the pass rush before they look at their progressions. If they do, if they if they look at the pass rush, they're done. Yeah, and it happens though. Like no, it, I know, <laughs> I know, but it's it's you're done. That's right. that's it as a quarterback. It's I'm scary. Just, I'm, I'm I'm backing up your point. Like that's you can't look at the past. Yeah, and one guy that there's a concern with that about is C.J. Stroud. Um, he played great in that Peach Bowl and handled pressure great. But at times when the pressure's broken down, it's really brought out some bad habits. So it's just so key to they've got money locked up in the offensive line. Chris Ballard's made it pretty clear that he's going to continually spend there. They got to get a lot more out of it. Not only for the return on investment there, but uh, but yeah, every every single thing about it is securing the quarterback or protecting and insulating a ro- rookie quarterback, making him feel comfortable, and then getting the most out of Jonathan Taylor, who I expect them to extend. Like everything's going to come back to the offensive line again. So and that's something we don't fully know because we're not in the interviews, obviously. But that's with Steichen and Callahan. Why I think there's a good chance that they could have a pretty good plan there. I'm going to finish the podcast here now that we've gone through all the candidates. One, one of the things that I think is important to note, this has been a quiet search. Uh, we've known when people are interviewing, we don't have a lot of the like back and forth of who's front running or like we don't have a lot of speculation like that. Most of the speculation so far has centered around Ursay's love for Jeff Saturday and uh, how that plays into it. I, I could be wrong. I don't think that's reported i don't i don't yeah. i think that's more an educated an edu- educated guess based on what people knew i it's not very fresh it's stuff we we already knew he was in the front with with jim or say also i'll just say this it's been difficult to get any information like behind the scenes on it and i don't think that that's true necessary i don't think that's just true for us i think i think if you look at the way people are talking about it and you really break it down, like what's an opinion versus what's an actual report. There, there really hasn't been that many actual reports outside of this guy is interviewing. The interview went on a long time. There hasn't been a lot more than that so far. Um, so it's been a quiet search and it's been a long search. And um, it, it does make it a little hard to read. It's a little hard to read. I, you know, uh, 
on on some of it just because but but then again some of the ones with lots of news on them are hard to read they're just like two days ago uh people were saying that sean payton was completely out in denver and he's the denver's head coach now so so uh it it, i think this cult search has been a little bit hard to read and so I, i think you have to take a lot of the stuff that's been put out there as with a grain of salt like sometimes when national reporters get asked for their opinion on a coaching search they're not giving reported information and I, I think that they sometimes people need to do a better job of saying like this is an opinion this is a but I, I haven't read a whole like some some of the stuff that I've seen people react to I think has been more speculation than report yeah because it all kind of comes back to like the whole reason we've talked as much about Jeff Saturday on here is that's the candidate we know we know where the owner has stood with him. We know he was here on the job. We've seen and heard some of his approaches to the, what he would do here. I mean, he's held a lot of it to the vest, but like, there's just not much to update on. I don't know how, you know, we, we're not hearing how, what the plan was that Rich Bisaccia pitched in that meeting. We're not hearing if Raheem Morris is ahead of Evero, you know, as a defensive guy. It's, it's, and I it's think most Colts hard. fans who pay close attention kind of know who Ursay's guys are. If he's gonna have the, if he's gonna leak something out, and those guys have been fairly silent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and also I, I also think that part of why we're not hearing a lot is they don't really know yet that it's a it's a big field. It's seven guys, That's and they're a lot. Tr- they're trying to give them all Seven's a chance. A lot. And you interview twelve hours with seven different guys if that's what they decide to do. They that's may nearly, not know yet. That's nearly a hundred hours of interviewing. I mean, you you could literally get Chris Ballard to sit down here, give him truth serum, and say, where are these guys stack? He may not – he'll have some feels, but he's not going to – Do you have some? <laughs> truth serum? I wish. <laughs> that would make these press conferences a lot easier. Yeah, if you have truth serum and you've been holding out on us, that's your fault. You I just have, I save them for one-on-one interviews. Oh, okay. I was going to say, you should have definitely have used it for the, post, the postseason Ballard press conference. <laughs> we should have gotten you closer to the, the stage or something. Um, anyway, hopefully – We'll start to see some some movement that feels a little bit more meaningful, whether it's they bring two guys back for more interviews or whether it's an actual move towards a coach here soon. And whenever they do hire a coach, whenever that, that stuff comes, we will we will try to get a podcast up as soon as we can. Um, we're we're kind of in the same boat as you guys are. We're trying to find out as much as we can. There's not a lot coming out. Uh, we'll we'll see where this this coaching search goes. I do think it's interesting though that like. There were five jobs in this open. Three of them are now closed. Uh, Carolina has a coach. Houston has a coach. Denver has a coach. And Indy has seven finalists. <laughs> and Indy has seven finalists. <laughs> Just totally different timelines. <laughs> so uh, it's it, that is an interesting timeline. We'll, we'll keep track of it. Keep keep your dial tuned to IndyStar.com. Keep paying attention as, as the Colts get through this coaching search. Uh, I get it. I'm just as impatient as you are. I would love to be talking to the new head coach and actually have – concrete stuff that's been said to go off of uh we'll see when that happens for the colts cover two podcast i'm joel erickson this has been nate atkins in umbrella coverage